Everyone who knows me knows that my dogs are never short on outfits. I buy leashes and collars like some people buy shoes and handbags. And my favorite collar is Iggy's custom-made Paco collar. Paco collars are 100% handmade from scratch by an amazing staff of artists, and the quality really is unparalleled. My dogs can't have collars that don't withstand wear and tear. They hike, they swim, they roll on dead stuff. These collars are guaranteed to last a lifetime, and they're designed to be worn by active dogs like mine. Iggy's collar is perfect for her. It's got purple stones, stars, and a beautiful design. There are literally thousands of design options to choose from, but don't worry. The staff at Paco loves helping customers pick out the best collar for their pets. That's exactly what they did when I went to their booth with Iggy. And they make stuff for humans, too. So get over to PacoCollars.com and buy the best collar you've ever had. And don't forget to enter promo code COGDOG for free shipping. You all know how excited I am about Worked Up Camp, and I hope you're excited too. Working spots are full, but we've still got plenty of room for auditors. The camp is in Port Orchard, Washington, and it is September 28th through September 30th. It's going to be a ton of fun, lots of learning, really great community, and I can't wait. So hop over on the both the CogDog Radio and the Cognitive Canine Facebook pages have information on camp, and you can always join the camp event page. Just search for Worked Up Camp, and you'll find it, and you can get all the details there as well. So I hope to see you at camp. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Hey friends, I've been teaching a ton and of course I love that, but of course it's also <laughs> exhausting. So, um, but there's this really interesting problem that keeps popping up and it pops up in basically all of the programs that I teach um, and I see it at dog shows as well and I get emails asking about it. Usually the emails don't know that they're asking about it, but they are. And so today we're going to talk about end-of-run routines or end-of-run rituals. And of course, I'm going to be talking specifically about agility here, but this pertains to any sport that you play that has a clear ending to the dog. And what I'm not talking about is end-of-training signals or end-of-session signals. That's kind of another issue entirely. I do actually recommend that people have clear routines surrounding the beginning and ending of training sessions. But um, I want to talk about the actual what happens after the last obstacle. What happens as you move from that last obstacle to your leash and then out to your reinforcers if that's kind of your routine? Um, Here's why. I get really common emails that go like this. My dog doesn't want to quit playing agility and therefore won't come to me at the end of the run to put his leash on. Um, It can be more extreme than that too. Like the dog runs back to the course and keeps doing agility while you're standing there with your leash in your hand, um, hoping (laughs) that your dog will decide that you exist and come back over. I've also had clients whose dogs 
left them to just repeatedly do one obstacle, maybe the teeter, maybe a tunnel, when the owner went for the leash and the game was over. And then sometimes in Worked Up, I get dogs who actually become violent towards their handlers. They jump up, they bite, they body slam, um, or maybe they hump the handler at the end of the run. This is, I've seen this numerous times with a lot of different dogs. So what we're looking at there is a lack of information for the dog. So, okay, number one. They're not sure what they're supposed to do. And that happens, that's true anytime you're seeing a behavior that you don't want to be seeing, then that means that you have not adequately trained what you would like to see in that situation. And the dog was kind of left to their own devices and they found, you know, a behavior that works for them. And so know that there's a lack of information there's also a lack of kind of classic reinforcement. Usually in training, you deliver that toy or deliver that food right away when the sequence is over. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it does hurt you once you get into the ring and then your reinforcers are clear over there outside of the ring and you've got to leave the ring to go get them. And depending on temperament, you can get a dog that um, gets kind of stressy or shut down because of this lack of information, or you can have a dog that decides, you know, if you don't have any classic reinforcers out here, you don't have my toys, you don't have food, the, then the best thing out here is the tunnel and I'm just going to go take advantage of it. Or the best thing out here is to just keep doing agility and I'm going to do that. Or the best thing out here is to just pummel you. Um, and that happens way too often, really. Um, so we can be smarter about this. And the way we can be smarter about this is we can actively train end-of-run rituals so that our dogs recognize the scenario and know what's going to happen and they know what their quickest path to reinforcement is. Because when you're seeing unwanted behaviors, you are seeing a dog that's finding a quickest path to reinforcement that you are not a fan of. So that's all unwanted behaviors are. Is the dog taking his clearest path to reinforcement that is not compatible with um, your ideal path to reinforcement for that dog? So those are some of the problems that indicate um, a, a lack of good solid end of run routine. So let's think about what makes a good end of run routine. Well, number one, sustainability. And by sustainability, I mean, can you do it in the ring long-term? So in training, we often have end of run routines that look like bite the toy, get the toy off the ground or eat food. And those are perfectly wonderful end of run routines, except that they're not sustainable to the ring. So because they're not ring sustainable, they, aren't actually good end of run routines and so that's kind of the number one thing and what that means is you're going to have to teach your dog what i call reinforcer stashing which means that they understand clearly that you have placed the reinforcer somewhere else so you have showed them the food showed them the ball before you went in the ring and planted it somewhere and then you go in the ring and the dog understands that there is a set you know, number of steps that gets them back to that reinforcement that you have stashed. 
And it starts out really, really simple. It starts out, you show them the thing, stash the thing, move away from the thing. Dog follows you, you tell them, let's go get the thing. I do that by just saying cookies if it's food. And then we go over and we get the thing. Um, Or if it's a ball, I'll say something else. And further and further away you go until you're all the way inside your training ring. And then you start to ask for behaviors and you're asking for simple behaviors at first and then you're heading for your stash and the dog is understanding, okay, I move away from the reinforcer, I do stuff, then I get to go back to the reinforcer. And then what starts, so that's sustainable, but the other thing that's going to make it sustainable is if you involve your leash somehow. Because in most of our venues in the U.S., we actually have to put a leash on our dog before we leave the ring. Um, And that's also true in most of the venues in Canada. I can't speak for the rest of the globe, but um, they do have some pretty strict leash rules in most of the countries that I have visited. So usually putting your leash on, even just for safety reasons, is what you should be doing before you leave the ring. Um, And that means that your leash needs to be involved in this training process. I have met way, way too many dogs who see the leash as a conditioned punisher because it literally means the fun is over now. I've also met dogs that saw the leash as a conditioned reinforcer because it meant we're running for your cheese now. So you can do either one of those. But don't let whatever happens be, you know, just by chance. So don't leave it up to chance. Um... What happens there? What conditioning happens with your leash? So build your leash into your reinforcement stashing rituals. Put the leash on, say cookies, run over to the chair that has the food on it, give it to the dog. Okay. Um, I usually, we use multiple leashes for this exercise. So I will literally put a leash on a chair, on a hook, in a bucket. However, you're likely to find your leash at the end of the run. Put it on your dog. Say your stashing word. Cookies um, is what I use if it's food. And I say, get that thing in a really (laughs) ridiculous voice like that um, if it's a toy for Felix. So we go over, we put on the leash, and I say, you get that thing. And um, he runs back over to the ball where that I have put somewhere. And with Iggy, it's cookies. And we run over to wherever I've put the food. And because you weave the leash into this, now we've just got this little interim step. And that's it. It's easy to do. So the dog says, yeah, yeah, put the leash on so we can go over to the reinforcer. Think about it. We usually take our leashes off before any fun things happen. We take our leash off and then we train agility. We take our leash off and then we play with toys. Um, If you're like me, you hate training with a leash on so your dogs are literally never training with their leash on unless you are deliberately using the leash for a specific reason. So we've got to think more about that. Um, So involving your leash in your stashing, really, really good idea. A lot of people here do train their dogs to actually run to the leash, target the leash. And if you're allowed to play tug on your leash in the ring, in the venue of choice that you've got, and that's something your dog likes, I say, have at it. What a smart way to just cheat the system. I mean, honestly, if your dog will tug on your rope or leather leash, just like he would tug on a toy, 
perfect. Teach that, use it, use it in the ring. Okay. Slight caveat, you should have some very good stimulus control on that, meaning your dog understands as he's looping past his leash on the ground or on the hook that he has to stay to work until you tell him it's time to go get the leash. Um, so do some, do some active thinking on that for sure before you go there because it can be a really, really great tool and it can also hurt you. I've seen dogs see their leash, run over, grab it, and run back to the course carrying their leash uh, can be kind of a problem. So you're going to want some good stimulus control on that if your leash is going to be a hot reinforcer for your dog that you can use in the ring. So another way to keep this sustainable is early application. Don't actually wait until you're ready to enter a trial to start training this. So in training, I like to think of um, I'm either breaking down skill sets or I'm running courses. And if I'm breaking down skill sets, and that can be obstacle or handling skill sets, I'm going to be reinforcing frequently the whole time. I'm going to have reinforcers on my body and I'm going to be reinforcing the whole time high, high rates of reinforcement for that skill set that I'm working on. So that's kind of one version of training agility. And the other version of training agility is actually running courses. And you get to decide, you know, what's a sequence skill set versus what's a course. But I think most of us are pretty familiar with the concept of doing a walkthrough, thinking of the, thinking about the course, and then trying to run it. This is better for you too, by the way, to get out there and have the mindset of, I've got to get this right the first time through. I'm not going to stop and reinforce. So for me, I'm either training skill sets and then I'm not doing my normal pre and post run rituals because I'm just reinforcing liberally the whole time. It's very clearly training. It's very clearly different from what's going to happen at a trial. Um, flip side, I'm running full courses or half courses, but the goal here is to run a course, not to break down a specific skill set. I'm actually going to keep the reinforcers off my body, outside the ring, just like they normally would be, and I'm going to put that post-run ritual to use. I'm going to run up to my leash, put my leash on my dog, tell him to get that thing, and we're going to run out of the ring and get his toy. Now, in training, I may have kind of a secret stash of reinforcement, on my body or on the course somewhere. Let's say I want to reinforce my two on two off teeter or something. Um, I might stick a little piece of hot dog underneath the teeter so that when I run up to it, I can put, you know, give my dog food for a second or I might have it in my pocket, but I'm still going to do that normal post run ritual, which is where we leash up when we leave to get your reinforcer. The more we are incorporating that into our training, the better it's going to translate over to the ring. And just the dogs are going to be less confused because the most agility they do, especially in the early part of their life, is probably in training and not in trials. So if most of the time they're seeing this normal end of run ritual, then that's going to be the ritual for them and that's what they're going to expect. And it's just going to make your transition into trialing that much easier and so having that early and often application can help you avoid having the leash as a punisher, avoid having a dog that runs back to the course to, you know, repeat obstacles, um, and just have a dog that transitions into trials seamlessly because they have seen all of this stuff before. 
So sample kind of full out procedure would look like this. I'm first not going to involve the leash at all. And let's say just for simplicity's sake, I'm using a bowl of food. Um, it's got a lid on it so I can leave it outside the ring. So I'm going to open this lid, show it to my dog, let my dog sniff it. And I'm going to set it on a chair and I'm just going to take one step away from the chair and I'm going to wait. And if my dog's over here sniffing at the bowl thinking, why would I leave this bowl of food? That's fine. I'm just going to let them. The second that my dog turns to me and takes a step towards me, I'm going to mark with cookies and then I'm going to step to the chair, open the, open the jar, um, and give the dog you know, two or three treats in a row. And then I'm going to do the same thing, but I'm going to walk two steps away. And so on and so forth until I can walk, you know, clear across whatever the training space is and the dog readily follows me. And by readily, I mean I'm not standing there waiting for the dog to disengage the bowl. The dog fully understands I'm going to get the food by leaving the food. And they do it right away. And I would stay at any given step until they're doing it right away. So when I can move far away from um, the jar of food, the cookie jar, I'm now going to set up a ring entrance. And I'm literally going to walk in the ring, say cookies, and walk out. And this could be very close to the chair at first. Um, and you can do this with ring gating. You can manufacture it with jump wings. You could use X-pens, you know, whatever. But it is good to set it up to where it looks as much like a trial as it's going to look. It's always a smart thing to do. And I don't think we think about that as much in agility. Um, these thoughts, you know, really smart ring sustainable types of reinforcement, I think, are done better in the obedience world because in obedience, um, you're out there for several minutes and you need high quality work from your dog without classic reinforcement for several minutes. In agility, we fudge it. We get away with it a lot of the time. And the reason we do is because we're only out there for several seconds. So we're out there for less than a minute. And that means that we take a lot for granted. And we shouldn't. So set up your ring gates, walk away from your chair that's got your stash on it, mark cookies and leave. When all this is looking fantastic, I'm going to start to involve my leash. Um, so I'm going to set my leash just inside that ring. We're actually going to walk in the ring, leash up, cookies, walk out, eat some cookies. And now at this point, if you've got a training buddy, take your leash off and have them run it back into the ring for you. And if you don't, that's fine too. Just take it off, carry it with you into the ring, put it on, mark cookies, and come in. Um, you could also walk the dog on the leash into the ring, take it off, put it back on and walk out. What matters is that the order of operation goes like this. We're in the ring. I put the leash on you. I mark cookies and then we go out. This seems tedious and I know it does, but it's actually a really fun exercise to do, um, in a group class because you can just set it up and it busts through really quickly. So one person does the ritual you know, they walk in the ring, they put their leash on, they say cookies, they go to the cookie jar, next person in line comes in, <laughs> um, walks in, puts their leash on their dog, goes to the cookie jar. And you can just circle through the entire class that way um, and have, you know, people be leash runners for each other. And it works, works out really slick. And People are always amazed that this does anything. They always feel like this look, this is so simple and tedious. What is this going to do? But the answer is that's what dog training should look like. It should actually be kind of simple and tedious. 
that's how you actually teach high quality behaviors is with the systematic breaking down of everything. And this is how we avoid the leash as a punisher. And this is how we set our dogs up to fully understand what's expected for them. So once this is looking fantastic, you just add a little bit of work to the picture. You go in, you run a few obstacles, you go up to your leash, put the leash on, say cookies, run out to the jar. And now you're going to get a dog that does start to target their leash, whether you've train them to or not, whether they want to play with the leash or not, because they understand the leash is their ticket to the reinforcement. So they're going to target their leash, put it on, go out to the cookie jar, and just build up the work that they do. Problems you could run into. They could finish the run and run straight out to the cookie jar. That's fine. Go to your leash and stand by it. Wait for them. When they come in, put the leash on, say cookies, and run out. They're going to start to understand, oh, if I just go straight to the cookies myself, that doesn't get me anything. I have to put my leash on first. And once they're really starting to understand that, you can start to truly use it whenever you are running a course or a longer sequence. Um, And now you're just going to seamlessly cruise right into that trial environment your dog's going to, your novice dog is going to run straight up to their leash, get their leash on and run out to their reinforcers. Um, And to me, does that look like impressive training? Yes. But more importantly than that, does that look like a dog that is confident and fully understanding what they're experiencing? Yes. And that's so much bigger because so many of our novice dogs, they actually kind of struggle because they've never done agility without you paying them really frequently, giving them a toy or giving them food really frequently. Um, and maybe you are running full sequences without giving them anything, but you probably still have that stuff in your hand or right there on your body. And they're not used to the fact that their, their treats or their toy is actually clear over here outside of the ring. And that can actually make the competition ring setting also a conditioned punisher the dog can go oh this is where i don't get paid um not fun if you are in the business of maybe a service business and you let's say you're a let's say you wait tables you're a server in a restaurant and you've got some regulars and you've got your regulars that tip really well and you've got your regulars that don't When the regulars that don't tip walk in the door, what is your feeling versus when the regulars who do tip walk in the door? Okay, so you see what I'm saying? You begin to have this conditioned response to, ugh, you know, that couple's here. They never give me anything. I'm going to do the bare minimum for this table. Or, hey, this is my favorite couple. They pay me such a nice tip every single time I go above and beyond for them. I want my dogs to, I don't want my dogs to look at the ring like that guest that doesn't tip. I want my dogs to look at the ring as a clear path to reinforcement, just like they're looking at training. And then that way, even if things go wrong, you need to leave the run prematurely um, because your dog's kind of losing it or deciding to stop and sniff. You can have a clear reinforcement ritual at that time as well. And that's really valuable because you can make sure that leaving early um, doesn't actually act as a punisher if that's what you're trying to avoid. So give this some thought. Um, Think on your end of run routines. If you have 
a really good end of run routine that you like that you've been using tell me about it over on the cog dog radio facebook page if this had some light bulbs for you tell me about that and generally tell me about how you're going to incorporate this in your training plans thanks for listening to cog dog radio if you have questions or suggestions shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.